We're doing a special podcast today with a good friend uh, who's in the studio because we've already done one. Uh, th- th- that one, which is about aphorisms and uh, wisdom literature general, in general, uh, is uh, based upon two books by my special guest, Gary Saul Morrison, who is professor of Slavic languages and literature. Do I have that correct? Yes, that's right. Uh, at Northwestern University. But... Uh, Slavic language and Slavic culture being uh, your basic mode of intellectual operation or your basic mode. Well, Russian most of all. And Russian more particularly uh, is um, very much in the air these days. That is the constant mystery of what Russia, let's see, it was Winston Churchill who got off one of those famous sayings. Russia is... A riddle wrapped in a mystery, enveloped in an enigma. There we are. Like that. Yeah. Well, the uh, enigmatic nature of Russia somehow commends itself to our attention once again as we examine the uh, doings and sayings and the significant presence of um, one Vladimir Putin. Yes, it's uh, you can usually tell that something is wrong in the world if Russia is in the headlines. There's a bit of wisdom literature or a wisdom assertion in itself. Elaborate that. Well... Russia, what would make Russia in the headlines? It's not its economic prowess. It's not going to be the wealth they've suddenly produced. Think of it. How many products do you own that that you ever buy that are made in Russia? (laughs) I think unless you've got a, you know, know, a a repeating rifle from Russia, a Kalashnikov or something, uh, you don't have anything from Russia. Even... Stolichnaya vodka is made in Estonia now. Is that so? Yeah. It, it, there's which nothing was, we get from Which was, was part of Russia. It, well, it was part of the Soviet Union. But, yeah, of, of, uh, of the of but USSR. We don't get, you know, Russians don't produce wealth. It, it, the country is today sustained by its, you know, natural resources. I must tell you something that came to my mind. As you said, what else could, did you ever uh, get that was Russian? Uh, and I never really got it, but I uh, know that it was uh, favored by people of greater wealth than mine. I think of the film uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, a wonderfully comic British film in which Alec Guinness plays of seven or eight roles. Uh-huh. Um, all of them people who are knocked off by somebody who's trying to somehow get to the top of the family hierarchy and accumulate a fortune. And in one of them, he's a, a blimpish sort of British general at his club, a retired British general, and uh, who's replaying the battle of something or other for his rather bored uh, table mates. Uh-huh. And then suddenly he opens up, they put before him rather uh, a, a tin of caviar. And he says, this is one thing those Ruskies do really well. And he plunges a knife into it and everything explodes. Yes, I suppose you, you might, so, get, but even your caviar might come from Kazakhstan I now, see. you know, more likely. So those are Soviet rather than yeah, Russian. No, I think there is some that still comes from Russia, but yeah. mostly from... But Russia is a source of trouble. Then is that what you're saying? Seriously? Well, you're not. Russia's not going to be in the headline for its economic prowess. It's the greatness of Russian literature is an is an era that's that's past. What you know? What can they do that will attract attention? And the answer is, um, they always had a splendid military, and they always had the ability to create a crisis. Uh, and that's to please the, the military. I mean, the military want to make war. I'm sorry. Uh, military want to make or want to threaten war? Well, it's a tool that you use in order to get 
what you want and what Russians tend to want is not what we tend to think they want. Um, so the tool becomes particularly... Um, but what is that? Now, uh, let's talk for a moment like a political analyst, which, of course, you are and have done wonderfully well as a sideline in much of your writing published in uh, broad sources, a splendid list of, of articles, as well as the literary books. Um, what then is one's working hypothesis about what Russia's after right now and who and what Putin, um, what influences and shapes Putin for that matter? Well, an easy cliche as well, he's just an old KGB Nick. And of course that's true, but it's not, it's not what you really need to know. It's the first question to ask is why are we surprised? I mean, countries typically in most of human history have tried to expand at the expense of their neighbors and have taken advantage of the weakness of their neighbors to do it. Why are we suddenly surprised is really the question. This is a, you know, a pattern and you, you know, the, the secretary of state who said, well, this is a, a 19th century action to, in, a, in the 21st century. Does he really think that Power and getting what you want through power is somehow outmoded. The first, my thought with that quotation was, and has he missed the 20th century, which was all about doing that? But that's part of the problem that Americans generally have. Um, we have a certain set of liberal values. We assume that the function of a, of life and society and government is to make individuals happy and that's the that's the touchstone that notion is not universal it's certainly not for example what islamists think and it's not what russians for though for a very different reason than islamists <clears throat> think so the the search for life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is not universal no it's certainly not universal i mean as in, interpreted as individual, as I think that implicitly means individual life, individual liberty, individual happiness. The idea that, I mean, a, a Russian might be inclined to think you see nothing larger in life than your own pleasure. And by the way, that, I think that's a really good objection. Uh, but what they then see is the nation, Russia, is an entity larger than the individuals in it. It is entirely possible for Russia to prosper and be, in that sense, happy, even if all the individuals in it are miserable. It's not that it's... The reason so many Russians are supporting Putin is not that they think it's going to make them better off. That's why the American objections that, oh, you know, it's going to cost so much to integrate the Crimea into the country that the people are going to soon see that it wasn't worth it. Let it cost as much as it, it likes. It's Russia has made its mark on the world. It's expanded. It's a great power. It's something, it's been reversing the humiliations of, of the end of the Soviet Union. This is what really matters. Um, and Americans would find this very peculiar. They'd ask, well, you know, is, would conquering another country actually make life better, an American would think, and they tried it, and if it didn't, then of course that would be a proof that you shouldn't do it. Uh, 
But it's, that's an odd view. It suggests that individual happiness, and indeed not going beyond the horizon of the people living now, is all there is. Uh, and we find it so hard to imagine <laughs> that probably that view was shared by in Western Europe, but it's certainly, I think, not shared in most of the world. And yet, so it's our cultural naivete which has been exposed in our <clears throat> shock that Vladimir Putin would take advantage of a power vacuum. Is there a power vacuum in right. the former Soviet states? Not just in the former Soviet states. The Poles are terrified. What is to stop him from gobbling up not just the um, eastern Ukraine, but the western Ukraine, and then moving on? There's nothing to stop him. Well, there is, of course, a counterforce, which uh, we are sluggish to mount or to fully activate. But uh, at the it's very moment... It's not on moment, the ground in anywhere in Europe right now. Well, at the, mo at the no very moment that we're talking... Uh, the, uh, there's been this great NATO meeting in Wales in which they have taken quite a strong stand verbally against Putin and his uh, uh, aspiration to enlarge Soviet uh, Russia back into something like Soviet territory. Sam, why stop at Soviet territory? And is are words... That's the, the problem with Europeans and Americans. They actually mm -hmm. think that saying strong words will stop tanks. Russians think, can anybody really be this stupid? That's sort of their attitude. They think they're lying here. There's something else going on. Nobody could be that stupid. Nobody with a particular reference to, to the American government? The Americans or the, or the Western Europeans to actually think that making, that there's such a thing as the 21st century, which will stop an army from moving, or that, you know, words about how bad this is and how unforward-looking this is, is going to, unacceptable this is, is going to stop an army? I mean, if you think about it from the, you know, from the point of view of um, someone who, imagine, you know, thinking you can stop a, a mafiosi by saying, that's not right. That's how, you know. You have a very hard view of nations. It, we, uh, in our last conversation, we quoted, among others, Thucydides. In the Peloponnesian War, he speaks of <clears throat> the three basic promptings towards war. And uh, menos, telos, and ophelia, I think, meaning uh, pursuit of interest, grabbing stuff that's available for mm -hmm. you to enrich yourself with somehow or other. Uh, that's interest. Mm -hmm. And then there is the search for safety, because you're very aware that the neighbor also is a grabber mm -hmm. and might also threaten you, so you have to be ready to meet uh, his assault and maybe even start the war by preempting him. But the third is not as menial as interest or safety. It is rather honor, the pursuit of and the maintenance of honor for the collectivity. Well, that's interesting. Honor would be a word that you know, goes beyond the individual. But he couldn't have thought of glory as quite the same as honor. Mm -hmm. um, or he couldn't have thought of, thinking of Soviet days or, or the Third Reich, ideology. Th that 
the people don't matter in the case of ideology. Even the nation doesn't matter. It's the triumph of an idea, of a theory. Um, that's the way you get intellectuals on board because being men of ideas, anything, if the world is governed by ideas, <clears throat> it's governed by us. So we that's the people of ideas. communism I, rather than czarism. Yes, so or speak. rather than Putinism, which, you know, um, that's, what, that's what Putin lacks that the Soviet forebears have. He doesn't have any ideology that will really appeal ah. beyond his borders, as uh, communism did. How does one He's know? tried. He's tried to do this by, you know, putting together a form of Russian orthodoxy uh -huh. and what he thinks of as traditional values, you know, the hostility to um, gays. Um, but that has... You know, certainly that we can't imagine that would appeal to anybody. It will appear to appeal to some people around the world, but it's not as nearly as potent as what communism was. And so he doesn't quite have that advantage that the Soviet forebears did. Then you don't you don't see this as a renewal of Stalinism and Stalinist intention uh, with to bring the proper revolution to all the world. No, I don't. I think it's about Russian imperialism and nationalism, mm. but not about any. Um, and he, certainly not right, about I, communist ideology. Yeah, um, I, you know, I don't think um, Putin or the leadership has any interest in in that. They have an interest in that <clears throat> only in so far as it was a tool for political power, but not in so far as they actually believe. Your reference to what a mafiosi would would do in response to some moral entreaty reminds me of the view of David Satter, who's an old friend of mine. I know him too, yeah. From you know David? Yeah. He was my student, as a matter of fact, and uh, he reminds me that I helped him get his Rhodes Scholarship many, many years ago. He well-deserved it and would have got it uh, whoever commended him, and many of us at the University of Chicago did. He was one of my first students, as a matter of fact, when I arrived at the university. He then being the uh, editor of the uh, student newspaper. Would that have been in the late 60s? It would, in 1966, yeah. 67, yeah. thereabouts. Um, at any rate, uh, David may not have coined the word, but he uses it comfortably, and he's there all the time, as you know, as you are very, very frequently. Uh, he views the Russian government as a, quote, kleptocracy, that these are essentially gangsters who are enriching themselves and having all the pleasures of excessive consumption and excessive power, but not ideologically guided at all. I think that's largely correct, but it, I would, and I don't think he would disagree with this, there's also what, an, an, a strong element of national pride. Uh-huh. That would be true with the mafiosi too, their sense of the dignity of the family, the dignity, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, they don't conflict with each other. You can have both together. Um, and and I, I, you know, if they're dealing internally, they're a kleptocracy. So we've mentioned Lenin already. A famous pamphlet by Lenin is titled, What is to be done? Uh, and that's relevant right now. What is to be done? What should be done? Do you mean by? By those who oppose the, um, the threat to the Ukraine immediately and those who oppose uh, any further expansion of Russian power. Um, those who are uh, offended by the thought that Putin may be motivated to reconstitute essentially the Soviet Union. Well, I, think, I don't see why you're stopping at the Soviet Union. There's no what the Soviet Union was about was conquering Europe. Yeah. Why should it stop? They did get Eastern Europe. Why would it stop at the at the Russian at the former Soviet border? I'm in the li linguistic phase. Uh, mm -hmm. I fear what comes to my mind is the German slogan: "Heute gehört uns Deutschland, morgen die ganze Welt." 
Today, Germany belongs to us. Tomorrow, the world. Well, you, you can't imagine that Putin expects to rule the world. Uh, I think he can certainly expect to rule, to take off piece by piece of Europe until mm -hmm. something stops him. Yeah. And why not? I mean, well, you wouldn't. You would never develop such um, ambition, even if you were a politician rather than a literateur. No, I certainly, you know, don't share that set of values. Uh, Who does? Is it distinctively Russian in any way, or distinctively Slavic, and or what? I don't think so. No, this it's universal. Be, well, it certainly seems to be, for example, what China, uh, what's guiding Chinese policy, is the expansion of Chinese power. Um, it's not just let's be. And China is a kind of kleptocracy as well. Uh, the difference is it's a kleptocracy that's actually producing a lot of wealth that's worth stealing, mm -hmm. right? You know, by more than a few people. And supposedly Russia uh, is uh, in poor shape demographically, economically, except for their great oil reserves. But uh, it's possible that even that will change in terms of the favored source of energy. It may well become something else. Yes, I mean, the favorite source of energy may become something else with the the shale oil revolution, other technological revolutions. Right, so, yeah. It could well be that, you know, it's already the case that countries that couldn't produce energy before have become energy producers, and that would tend to... Because, you know, yours is power. a very pessimistic view. That is, it's a very fa fatalistic, I should say, view. It is that this is a major uh, human drive. Uh, politicians have it in abundance, and they want to rule everything they can grab. Everything they, they want to do, in, in essence, everything they can get away with, just as the Mafia Don wants to do in really a much, much smaller and more contained way. What then, again, I... I'm not sure it's true of all politicians in all cultures. No. Uh, I, I, but you're saying it's very true of Vladimir Putin and the people around most him. It's true of most societies in, in human history at, in most of the world. Uh-huh. And it's a universal possibility at any time. That is a truly tragic view of... That doesn't mean it's true everywhere at every time. But that is a very tragic view of the human condition and of human history, is it not? Yes, and so is the idea that we're all going to die. It's tragic, but it's you know, simply the way things are. Yeah. And I say from, from a Russian perspective, they have trouble believing that anyone else believes any different, just the way we have trouble believing that. Uh-huh. So they just assume that you know, American, it's easy to persuade them that no matter what the U.S. does, it's doing it from that perspective. Because what other perspective could there be? Um, well, I have to reinstitute the quote from Lenin and the question it raises, what is to be done by well, our side, so to speak? One has to convincingly show that the balance of power is more even than it is right now. Uh, we need to change the strategic balance, which is partially psychological, show we're willing to use the power we do have in some way that makes a difference. And also to change the strategic balance. I mean, what, what brought the Soviet Union down was the sense that economically they could not finance a military that would compete with ours forever. They simply couldn't do it. The technological revolution. <clears throat> so that's what sort of let Gorbachev realize that he had to change. 
um, you develop a military not to use it, but to con- to change the balance of power so that there's no thought that they would in- could invade Germany. You have to convince, of course, you you would use the balance of power that you know. Y- you would use the weapons if, if you needed to, and that would make it much less likely that you need to. Um, and we don't either have the convincing demeanor that we would do anything, uh, nor ha- and and we're part of what convinces there is we're letting our military and the Europeans even more so decline. The we in that sentence refers to the West generally. Well, to the United States in particular, and of course the European. And the European. They don't have a military to speak of. That's why they're they're. Um, you know, an, an open target. What they depended on in the Cold War, when again, the Soviet army could have been at the Atlantic Ocean in 48 hours if it wanted to, was the fear of nuclear retaliation. And I sh- imagine that's nobody th- Does anyone actually think that we would do that now? It's not convincing. Not against conventional weapons. If the Soviets were to attack... In the cold, they didn't attack with conventional weapons in the Cold War because of the fear of retaliation. Yeah. Nobody thinks this. Nobody really believes that the U.S. would retaliate against an attack on Western Europe. Now, do they? You'd have your doubts, wouldn't you? Well, whereas nobody doubted. But that, that still seems so fanciful. You can't imagine Putin or anybody else ordering the Russian army uh, and the army of any allies he may be able to pick up to. Uh, Drove all the way west to and including uh, the British Isles. I mean, well, the British Isles—they happen to be an island, as you you went out. But you know, through to the Soviet border, to the former border of the Soviet Empire, yeah, which would be part of Germany as well. I, I can easily imagine that, but step by step. But not all the way to Italy, France, Spain. Why not? Why not? You say. It's it, uh-huh. not going to happen overnight, but as the balance of power changes, what would stop it? You have to ask, what would stop it? If there's nothing to stop it, why wouldn't it happen? Yeah. So you are taking the hard view of the strategic theorist. You remind me, in a way, of Herman Kahn in what you're saying, uh, who was a very formidable fellow, in fact. I knew him some. And uh, he uh, fully believed that ultimately the rule of power is what happens between states, and the best way to do well and keep your state alive, happy, healthy, and uh, continuous is to uh, wield retributive power, uh, including nuclear weapons. But that's, that's too universal. For example, no matter what happens, I do not expect um, Sweden to invade Norway, regardless uh-huh. of the balance of power okay, between the two of them. I do not expect that you know the Netherlands is going to invade Belgium, or Germany, the Netherlands now, the way it, yeah. it did at one. Those point. are all in the category of democracies, more or less. And uh, one line that has um, flourished a good deal among contemporary political scientists is that history has reached a point where you've got quote democratic peace. Democratic nations don't war against one another. By and large, they don't, um, except that you know unusual circumstances, but. Not every place is democratic. Not every place shares democratic values. And, and those places still exist, and that's where the principal threat is coming from. And you think it flows ultimately from the Russian spirit? No, I, I, you know, I, 
No, I think it it flows from our failure to see that anyone can think differently from the way we do. Uh-huh. That's why we're shocked, for example, by the the Islamists. We have no idea what it is to be fat- fanatically devoted to a religion. It just doesn't. We can't f- grasp it. So it it will always it will surprise us. And the Russian perspective, which is again not liberal, but in a very different way, we also don't grasp it. And it's the failure to think that anyone could be different from ourselves that leaves us um, not willing to have a convincing response ready. But some response sooner or later must be made. Yes. And it doesn't, you know, had we had a more convincing defensive posture, a more strategic balance before, this would not have happened. Uh huh. So, if we get if we get one now, we will prevent the damage from happening sooner or later. I imagine we um, somebody is going to think. I guess now is the time to defend ourselves. But when that will be? Why wait till the last moment? Um, well, it connects hard. directly back to present American politics, doesn't it? And yes, and the American spirit. I mean. Um, People are not really interested in something of longer-term significance. Um, it's one of the, the problems you get in a in a society based on the happiness of the individual is mm-hmm. that there isn't even any reason to think about what will happen after you're, you personally are dead. I mean, I'm wondering if that's the case in, in Europe, why there's such a low birth rate, because why put in the effort for something that's going to happen after you're dead? Uh, if you're thinking in terms purely of your own individual life, why should you worry about running up large national debts, as both the Europeans and the Americans are doing? Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be the one who has to pay for it. Only if you have a sense that there's something larger than yourself would you refrain from doing that? That's then one of the dangers of a society that thinks in terms of you know, individual pleasure as the only goal or the most important goal of life is that it ruins things for the people as a whole. Quite the mirror image of the Russians who think only in terms of the larger national interest at the expense of the indiv- entirely of the individual. You're often back in Russia. No, I'm not. I, I avoid it. Well, you've been there a number of times. Yeah. What do you say to your Russian friends about this these days? Are you in contact with people over there right now? Not at the moment. I'm not, no. No? No. Um, what would you say? Think of somebody, some of the people in Moscow that you know and value. What would you say to them? You know... It usually isn't worth even here arguing with huh. people. You know, we just had a session on aphorisms, one that I'm reminded of very often, mm-hmm. Jonathan Swift. You can't argue someone out of a position he was not first argued into. Uh-huh. You know, have you ever known a person in a political argument change his mind by force of what you said? I've told you about one yeah. confidence rackets man right. who was able to do that. Yeah, that's but that's why why it works. Um, so you you wouldn't say something, I think, yeah. right? You would get. Um, 
But this is a dark view. It's a truly dark view if you just reckon the human costs that are involved. If uh, war and threat of war uh, are at issue, people are going to die. They are doing so in Ukraine, just as they are in Iraq, a different but parallel case right now. Well, yes, although it's on a quite different scale. You're measuring the people dying in Ukraine, maybe in the hundreds, right? Um, If they go forward and try to invade Poland, as you suggested they might? There's no one to resist them, so where would all the deaths come from? I see. I mean, I guess Poles have a a spirit of futile fighting, and so there there might be some. Um, But there's a large zone which necessarily by virtue of simple realism, must yield to Russian power if Russian power is projected against them. Yes, and one doesn't expect, for example, um, German suicide bombers against Russian establishments if they invade. It's too, when you're invading a highly civilized society, you can count on their not. But you said earlier, you can't imagine Putin aspiring as far west as into Germany. Maybe except for Silesia or some such place. Well, actually, I could just not quickly. I mean, um, you gobble off a piece of Europe, and then you see what the reaction is, and you digest it, and you gobble mm. another piece. Um, so long as there's a power vacuum, you why not why not take it over? I you know what would why would one be surprised at that? The same will be the case with China in the Pacific. Um, I think the both powers are quite cautious. They don't throw the dice to risk everything on one go. They take a little bite and they see mm-hmm. what, what the response will be, and they can always stop when they need to. But if there's no response, we'll get another bite. Do you find anything in Western literature generally that conveys all of this as a view of the nature of political man, so to speak? In Western literature... I mean, when Stendhal writes about the, in the red and the black, yeah, you is he dealing some, with? Right, you, Stendhal has a cynical enough view of this. Um, yeah. In order to you use the word cynical, that's the point. This well, is, Stendhal, it is cynical. It's not realist. I mean, yeah. You know. Um, uh, Tolstoy himself, Napoleon, long time ago, is the prime Western uh, exemplification of this process of power pushing forward. Yes, and you know, in in his case, there is. It would, it seemed to be, be limitless until yeah. something finally, until, until he came up against Russia. In fact, well, but even part of the invasion of Russia was, you know, because he was frustrated at being unable to invade Britain. Yeah, and tried to impose the continental system to prevent trade mm-hmm. with Britain. But as long as Russia was not part of that, it wasn't terribly effective. And so that was part of the impulse for invading Russia as well. So here we are. We know the very date. We know the very location. Suppose we're doing this same sort of discussion 10 years from now. I'm 10 years older and you're even 10 years wiser. What do you think you'll be saying? I think we'll both be 10 years older. But, yeah. Uh, well, it would be interesting to look back and think, what did we get wrong? And the answer is probably a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, Probably a lot because you know we are judging from what we see now. We don't see all the contingencies. History is not bunk, but it is not totally foreseeable either. It's not foreseeable very well at all. At all, you know, I would not. 
I would not put too much on a single roll of the dice on a single prediction yeah. because it's, it's bound we, to be wrong in most cases. We end there, properly chastised, <laughs> for aspiring to know more than we are given to know. It applies to ourselves as well. Right? It certainly does. Gary Saul Morrison has been our guest in an exceptionally interesting, to me, and I think to our listeners' interview. Thanks so much.